Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome back to the Overlap Live Fan Debate brought to you by Skybet. After a humiliating 6-1 defeat, Tottenham had to get rid of their manager, Christian Stellini. Ryan Mason was on the touchline against United and I talked to me. What did Tottenham need to do to get their managerial situation sorted? I've been, I've been defending, obviously, Daniel Levy for quite a few years. I've actually said that he's uh, one of the best operators in football. Um, Is that going to come up on the uh, crimes against punditry? <laughs> no, because I actually think... He, he, he obviously is running a, probably a large part of the club correctly, but he's never let go, really, has he, of the football side. Mm. He's never dealt with that. It's a little bit similar to, say, Ed Woodward at Manchester United, who was basically driving record revenues, record profits he's on the business side. Guy, not a football guy. But on the actual football side, they wanted to play football manager or they wanted to be in charge of that side. So I, I think now, obviously, what's happened... I, I'm really surprised that they took that 10 days to then to lose Conte after that interview and then came up with Stellini. Yeah. I was like, you might as well stick with Conte to the end of the season. So he goes, I'll not speak to you, just get on with it, manage the club because that's your job. Or bringing someone that would deal with it to the end of the season. Chelsea have had a similar problem with, obviously, bringing Frank in. Um, I've seen it myself. I went in at Valencia to try and steady the ship for the last four months because you try... It doesn't work Raniak at Man United. There's a lot of examples now of, of where you think you can just put someone into the end of the season thinking that it'll just basically sail the ship to, sh to shore and it's not working. In fact, it exacerbates the situation and makes it a lot worse and it's looked terrible in the last few weeks. I think Ryan Mason is just probably because of his association with the... Uh, uh, with, with the club and obviously the fact he's not a Conte man really um, has probably makes it better and you saw a response from Spurs in the second half Have you ever been in a situation where a manager's got a number two's come in and, and do they get from the dressing room do they get the same level of respect especially if they're just implementing the same ideologies and school of thought as the as the previous gaffer well, we, we had a number two for six months, managers. We had Phil Thompson come in on the back of Gerard Houllier's, uh, he had a you know, heart attack in the middle of a, of a game. So we had Phil Thompson for probably half a season. It didn't really affect us. We kept going. We had a, a strong title chase at, at that stage uh, up against Arsenal 2002. So it didn't change too much. And you're saying, oh, you're just doing the same thing. But I think in some ways that's what Tottenham have wanted to keep doing. And listen... Daniel Levy's made some really poor appointments of late, but I actually think on this one, I think it's more reading between the lines has come from the, the director of football who was in situ then, Paratici, who's almost probably said, Conte's press conference, you know, it, it, it's untenable maybe, you know, Daniel Levy's felt that and he's probably said, well, hang on, we are fourth in the league. If we'd beat Southampton, we would have been third. So this guy knows how Conte works, we keep the same system, we do the same sort of things, this is probably the way to go. So I actually think Daniel Levy's probably looking at the situation thinking, I wish I'd have probably just done what I wanted to do. Myself, maybe bring someone else in new to the end of the season. Obviously, that's Ryan Mason right now. But I'm not trying to let Daniel Levy off the hook there because you think of the appointments of 
even Jose, Conte, uh, Nuno coming in. This is all on the back, I think, of when he put Jose in originally, him coming out with a statement saying, we want to get back to the values of Tottenham, how the game's played, being an attacking you know, team or coach. And we always say that's like the Tottenham way, you know, I've got to play great football. I always remember that when I was a kid. But right now, that's everybody's way. Yeah. That, that's everyone's way at the top level, how teams want to play. So to then go and appoint uh, Nuno, then appoint Conte and find himself in a situation where he, with Stellini, you just, it just, it just didn't look right. When you're looking at him on the side of the pitch, when you're listening to him interviewed, we're in studios watching that and we're shaking our heads looking at it because we're putting ourselves back in the dressing room yeah. and thinking, what are the players thinking when you're watching him do an interview? What's he going to be like on the training pitch trying to get his message across? And it just, it never felt right. So. We don't know who's, who's chosen that decision, but as I said, I think it probably had a bit to do with the director of football, and they've just got to try and get on to the end of the season. Now, now are they going to bring someone else? Who can you bring in right now? They're obviously still trying to get a manager for next season, not right now. On Stan Stellini, though, yeah, he wouldn't want to be there, because the last thing he wants to do is look like he's being disloyal to Conte, who he's serving, so actually they forced him to stay. He wouldn't want to be there, he wanted out. It's just, it was really badly handled, that sort of Conte situation. It was coming for months, a bit like Jose situation at United. These situations don't just happen overnight. You can just simmer along. And I think that to deal with it in the way in which they did was really poor. There was a period where Conte was away. Yeah, uh, yeah, we saw that. And you saw yeah. the results. We saw us beat West Ham at home, Chelsea, Man City. Yeah. The all-conquering Man City. We beat them at home under Stellini. So you could see there was some sort of logic in keeping him in place, but it was clear as soon as Conte was gone, that it was all falling apart, not more so than Newcastle, where he decided to play a back four with two defenders and Porro and Perisic as fullbacks. which is, when I saw that, I was like, if we, this is going to be a disaster, but if we concede less than three, we've done really well, and you saw us concede five in 20 minutes. So, yeah, so uh, there's that. But in terms of what I want, obviously, the, I want Pochettino back, um, because, why is that? Funny, because he's going to Chelsea. That's why. Right. Yeah, but you're asking <laughs> who would you want? Who do I want? My question was, who do I want? He's not. He's not a job. That's who I want. If, he, if he's going to Chelsea, then what's being rumoured and it's you who's know realistic. Nagelsmann is realistic for Tottenham Hotspur. Vincent Company's in the mix. No, I love it. I, I love Vincent Company. I love the way he um, conducts himself in interviews. He comes across as a leader, someone who would take responsibility if things are not going wrong. If things are going wrong. But you've had some of the best managers in world football, and you seem to just ruin their reputations every time. <laughs> yeah. So what? I know, I'm being that, serious. What manager actually thinks, okay, I could go in and actually do a really good job? Yeah, probably a deluded it's a, it's one. It's a tough but job. The, <laughs> but, but the fact is, Tottenham are a, a massive draw to uh, the, these managers. The fact that we're even in a position, I'm not. I'm. I'm, I'm very much moving towards a, a, a place where Daniel Levy needs to step back or be or or, or sell up. Not that that's going to happen, but. But what got us to this point is large parts of the great work he's done previously, right? Not where we are now, but what we've done previously. So that we can attract managers like Pochettino, like Jose Mourinho, Conte, and now Nagelsmann. Most of the people in this room don't want Martin Nagelsmann to come to Tottenham. They don't understand that. They don't understand how a club like Spurs can attract one of the brightest managers in Europe. But it could happen, could well happen. So I mean, Nagelsmann think, and, and Ranić as a director of football. <laughs> Let's talk about uh, Tottenham's type of manager. And the manager you've mentioned, you've said they just, they've ruined their reputation. But I, I was talking before about them not being the right fit in terms of maybe how, how they play football. But Tottenham have got to look at sort of probably Liverpool and Arsenal and how they've gone about challenging. Those teams have sort of been built 
through Klopp, each year getting better. Arsenal under Arteta, four or five years. Think of what Pochettino done. Jose Mourinho and Conte have to win right now. Tottenham are not a club who can win right now. It's got to be a building process and they get closer each year and they're improving. So when you talk about what type of manager they need, there's talk of you know Vincent Company whether he could be that man. Who knows? He may go on to be a great manager. I think it's far too early for him in terms of talking like this. And the reason I say that, I look at sort of two managers who, sort of Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard, who are two of the best players we've seen in the Premier League era. Vincent Company's the same. There's almost this rush. And before we go any further, I know Guardiola goes against the grain. I get that. But there's almost like this rush to get these top players into these big jobs. It, it, I don't know if it'd be too early for company for the Tottenham, but what, what's this rush? Let him build his, his, you know, his CV, his experience, his ups and downs. It didn't go that well in Belgium for him, let's be honest. Burnley's been amazing. I just think for managers, there's no rush to get these big-name footballers in at the top because once it doesn't go well there where do you go from there the building process for a young manager is to you know eventually be there competing year in year out for trophies the Champions League I think we've just got to be careful with these top players being desperate you know as a media as a fan base to go right we want this manager in there I think it'd be far too early for Vincent Company. You say that but then it, Arsenal's was his first head coaching role managerial role for Arteta where he'd only ever been a number two to Pep is it does it also, I guess, how important is like, the character of the player? Because you know some players, they look at it and you go, he's going to be a manager. Or you listen to the kind of tactical now that Arteta has and you listen to the players speak about this. He was always going to be a manager. He was always a student at the game. Arteta and I don't know whether... Arteta would have at a lot of clubs. Yeah. yeah. Would have got, at any other big six club, he would have got sacked. Their own fans wanted him sacked. Yeah. So you probably... Wanted him sat early on. But what's attractive about what Arteta's done at Arsenal, uh, from a Spurs perspective, um, is the fact that it's a project and it isn't Jose Mourinho and it isn't Conte. It's something that the club can build and, and move organically forward and become, hopefully, a, you know, more. Will Daniel Levy and will the Spurs fan give a potential manager who's, who has to build? the time that they need because... No, this, can I, just, I, I hear this all the time and I, I'm not having it. This thing about every manager should be given time. It's, let's not be naive about this. It's not happening for anyone. And, and you only say about Arteta could have lost his job. But what Arteta did in that first six months bought him time. He won big games. He won the FA Cup, not just by getting a, an easy run. I think he beat Chelsea in the final, he beat Man City in the semi-final. I think they beat Liverpool, who was, that was the best club team around that era. He won big games. He bought himself time with that FA Cup. So the season after where it doesn't go well, he's got that in the bank behind it. So this idea that any manager should, he's got to be given four years, let him get on with the job. It's, it's, it's wrong. It's not it's, it's You want to be seeing progress true. for sure. You've, You've got to see something. Yeah, You've got course. to buy into something. It's the same with Pochettino. It wasn't an immediate success, but you could see, it was like when Arsenal beat, lost to Man City. Uh, Rodri scored that goal late on. And Arsenal fans are singing from the rooftops. And the Spurs fans are like, well, you lost, why are you singing? But they saw what the future might hold. And how they beat Manchester, how how they lost but performed valiantly and actually controlled a lot of the game. If you can see a direction and see a plan in place, then you're much more comfortable as a fan. Yeah. Uh, what, what we've had at Spurs for too long, and Daniel Levy is directly responsible for this, is a rudderless operation where it just feels like we don't know where we're going. I'm amazed at Daniel Levy in, in, in his appointments of Jose, Nuno, and Conte. 
I mean, maybe try it once because I think you could say, OK, I've got a desperation, we've got the new stadium, we need to get into the Champions League, there's a financial need that we must have a manager who we know can deliver. But he'd seen what had happened with Jose at Manchester United. This wasn't going to be a shock to him. You know Conte's exactly the same. Nuno's football at Wolves, I think Nuno's a good coach, but I think ultimately you knew the football was not going to be a level up from Jose's football. I'm really surprised at his last three managerial appointments in terms of fit. Just all unlikely marriages that you just know are going to end up in tears and divorce. So from that point of view, I, I, I'm struggling to understand where what's happened in the last three or four years. I can only think it's the desperation behind the scenes of the finances, the debt repayments, and maybe the big owner of you know Joe Louis, where he's, Joe Louis saying you need to qualify for Champions League because that, that financial drop between Champions League and Europa League is huge. And obviously Tottenham are not going to make it potentially this year. I don't agree with that. I, I think that the, so why is, why is he appointed those three coaches then? Because I What's think happened to Daniel Levy? I think, well, well, Daniel Levy is either going to pass the buck to Paratici for hiring Conte, but ultimately mm -hmm. it is Daniel Levy's responsibility. He can but say he's, no, he's structured the debt so that it isn't as, as significant as people might think. The stadium repayments are manageable and it isn't going to be reliant on Champions League football. It, that, that, that's widely reported. It will have a knock-on effect on your transfers and stuff. Yeah, but you're talking like £20 million pounds a season. Just put a go-kart track under the stadium. We're talking about fireworks. <laughs> 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 this is it's, it's a great point. Daniel Levy, his, his best, his best, it, what he's best at is, is, is that commercial, uh, commercial, yeah. commercial aspect. He's a great off-the-pitch operator. And he, he should be best. allowed to do that. What he's done with the stadium, the training grounds, incredible. Do you think getting to the Champions League final, though, do you think he looked at that and thought that's the beginning yeah. rather than the end? Because in reality, that was the peak of that side mm. but if you get there there's a little delusion that comes with it and goes if we can just get a manager who's a bit more experienced he'll be able to take that group of players and take them that one well, step that, that further. That was the idea with Jose, yeah. you, you just thought we need, can Poch or these players get over the line, not necessarily the Champions League but in you know, a cup final, they yeah. just needed to, that team needed to win something didn't they and I think we have to be real and say Spurs are a massively attractive football club, they attract Beyonce to perform. <laughs> yeah, on my mum's going she's going to love it, it's <laughs> fantastic, on a sporting level Pochettino needed 250 million quid spent after that Champions League final and Spurs as a footballing operation, a massive football club, didn't, uh, didn't respect Pochettino, didn't respect mm. the football aspect of the football club enough. It's an entertainment product, Spurs. That's the issue. And they, and they thought uh, that they could just bring a winning manager in to get them over the you, line. You but they actually forgot that Poch got them to the line. You can understand the logic. Mourinho ain't getting them to. But you can't. The second time with Conte, it's the second mistake, really. Yeah. It's Nuno and then Conte that mm. I think, Jose maybe he tried it once, but then United, you to, be fair, the logic to be fair, to be fair to United, when everyone was yeah. clamouring for Conte, yeah. right, and they'd had Jose, the club held strong and said, no, we can't have that again because we know mm. what's going to happen. Yeah. So to be fair, they held, I can't believe Daniel Levy has gone down that route again. Yeah, well, he's definitely, that, I mean, it, it was a mistake. But instead of it, though, all of a sudden, but when Conte's what? answering phone calls, and previously it was like Sherwood was answering phone calls, and they're like, oh, Conte wants to speak to me. It's, oh, there, there, I think there is an element of that. So we can get Antonio Conte, who's won everywhere. We, to yeah. your point, we break managers, right? Really good ones. And that's what's happened previously. But it, you, there's no way of, when, when we got Jose Mourinho, I was like... that? I think managers break you as well. Because right. honestly, I think what Con no, no, broken, no. Isn't it? <laughs> Look, seriously, because I think what Jose and what I've said this about Rafa Benitez a couple of times. What Jose and Conte do, yeah. they turn everyone on each other, Absolutely. and they end up breaking your culture, mm. your club as well. So yeah. for me, don't just think there that we destroy managers. Those managers are capable in the power that they have with the media to destroy your club as well. Don't and I. So I think, I think Spurs is a great club. What Levy's done with the stadium and the, and the training ground means that you're set up for a great manager to come in. Has Nagelsmann turned down Chelsea with the, with the fact that he, want, he would prefer to manage Tottenham? Has that happened? No. 
Because I think Chelsea went for Nagelsmann. No, I don't think so. Nagelsmann pulled, out of, the, pulled out of the race because he, he didn't want to be manager mid-season, did yeah. he? Yeah, yeah but I, don't, I don't think, I think he, he would have... got the vibes that it looked like Pochettino. I, I think they I made him come I in three times and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm done, I've got Lewis I can't, I can't see him saying, you know what, I'd rather go to Spurs. Charles, don't think that's what skateboard ramp. Well, I mean, why, why not? Why not? I know. Look, look at the state of your football. No, I know we're a state, and we'll get into that in a minute. We're not we're about talking about us yeah, yet. Yeah, right. just, we just like, let me breathe. That's probably a good time to There's go There's obviously a massive dissent at the moment around, obviously, Enoch yeah. and, and, and Daniel Levy. Yes, so, in terms of that, is it a case of now it's an absolute majority of the football club want the ownership to change. So we, uh, on uh, my podcast, The Fighting Cop, uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we, we put a poll out, right? We got a sizable response on it, and it was one in one in four wanted Enoch to or Daniel Levy, the two different things, but to to be removed. One, one in, in four. One in four wanted him to stay. To stay. Sorry. Oh, okay, so it's seventy-five percent wanted him out on yeah. Twitter, which isn't absolutely representative of match day going fans. So yesterday you heard them singing, um, "Daniel Levy, get out of my club." Um, it probably was, oh, I don't know, it sounded like maybe half the stadium, it was difficult to tell, but it's so much more significant than it was a year ago. And there are movements, it's very sporadic, and th there needs to be a bit of a more organisation online about how the pressure is put on the club, but there are movements springing up around uh, social media that are trying to force this thing. I mean, Gary, yeah, Gary, Gary, with... Gary will teach you how to lead one. I mean, that's probably... <laughs> Someone's <laughs> got to come got, up got with got £5 billion, pounds, though, so that's, that's, that's the key. How long has he been there? 20 years. 20 yeah. years. So, so did you say situation, your situation is different. Billion? Apparently he's valuing the, what he would want from the club. That's not their market value, I understand that. Five billion? Five billion is what... That's Chelsea money, which, which brings us on nicely. <laughs> yeah. to oh. flat, I, know, I, I would love to speak about this all day. It's one of my favourite subjects. Brilliant. Talk about his first <laughs> capitulation. <laughs> we actually have to go... And, my Good. second favourite subject, which is, which is Chelsea. Don't, don't be too we, horrible to me. <laughs> but we're going to talk managers, because you, you both know the manager very, very well. Pochettino, right man for the job, yes or no? Uh, I would say yes. I don't think there's any other option. Um, I think he did, did well at Spurs. I think he's probably been your most successful manager. But I would in say in our history or the last ten years or well I think you I think you just sacked him too yeah, early in my in my in my opinion but um, I don't think there's anybody else but our problems go way beyond what manager we are or we're not going to have I mean Todd came in I appreciate the fact that he's present that he's making an effort that he's willing to spend the money I get all that but I don't think there's any difference between a manager or sorry an owner that that wants to spend money and doesn't know how to spend it and one that doesn't want to spend any money. I don't really see the, the difference there. I think his ambition has turned more into arrogance, in my opinion. I think he came in, he made himself interim managing director or one of the directors. He doesn't know anything about English football. He's inexperienced, he's uneducated on it, um, especially the Premier League, it's so competitive. You know, you can't really afford to have yourself making these poor decisions. Um, we had 11 first-team injuries at one point. He sacked the medical staff. You know, I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that's, again, another poor decision he made. Sacking Tuchel for Potter, whether you think Tuchel was the right manager or not, isn't, isn't really relevant. He gave Potter a five-year contract who has no experience in managing a top-four side. Um, and then aside from that, we've got players on the pitch that are underperforming due to lack of confidence, lack of motivation, poorly coached, I also believe that's the case. And then we spend 500 million and we don't buy any prolific strikers. So what have I missed? <laughs> I, mean, not, not I made my notes for this show. I, mean, Gary, I was like, what have I missed? 
I agree, it's been an absolute mess. It's been a shambles from day it's one. It's erratic. And the first overlap of the season, I said he's like football manager. It, I called him Todd Woodward because it just reminded oh, me of I know. When... I can, I can apologise to you now for that because I didn't want to judge him before he had a full season and I've seen what he's done now. Yeah, and it's, but we, you know. The signs were <laughs> there, weren't they? You know, announcing that he was sporting director, doing what Ed did, to be fair, 10 years ago when he came off that tour. I think it was Australia or, I think it was Australia or America where he said he was going to go back Australia. and sign Bale and, um, uh, Bale and someone else. Fabregas. Fabregas. Uh, it, you just don't announce things like that. So it, it, it's been a, it's been a mess from day one. Obviously, the stories around him appearing in the dressing room after games, yeah. which obviously Tuchel didn't like. Obviously, Potter doesn't like. No manager likes. Would that. you like? Would you have liked that as a player, though? We, so I believe it. No, you know, at Manchester United for twenty years, I played there. The owners of the club, not the owners, the executive, the board of the club, come into the dressing room after every game. Really? Okay. Every game. When Sir Alex was there, he invited them in. It was always after the team talk. It was always to shake Sir Alex's hand and the players' hand, say well done or commiserations the odd time we yeah. lost a game. And basically that happened for 20 years. So it's part of actually what we understood. They never once commented on performance. They never once addressed the players. They never once spoke about anything to do with tactics. It was just purely to keep the club together from top to bottom. Yeah. That's what happened at the club. So it's not unusual that an owner goes into a dressing room or an executive goes into I think Sam Hamann used to do it at Wimbledon all those years ago, if you remember. So it's not, it's not, it's not unusual. But if he's contributing to the chat in the dressing room and talking and overstepping the mark, it's a massive problem. Yeah. So I think... What I would say is that, yeah, it's been a mess. But the game against Liverpool a few weeks ago, I think, did you do the game with me? Yeah. And Chelsea played that game, and I thought there, there, there was something in that game that you saw in a collection of players that you thought, if they could be brought together by a talented coach, and Pochettino, I think, is a really talented coach. Yeah. I think that Chelsea next year could really surprise us just through Pochettino bringing the club together, because he will, because yeah. he's likeable, and he, the players will respect him enormously. Yeah. He's played, worked at PSG, he's worked with big players, worked at Tottenham, worked at Southampton, done a great job. He, I think he'll do a very, very good job next season, and he'll cover a lot of the stuff that's going up on behind the scenes, is my prediction. If you get him, I think you'll have a very good season next yeah. year, because those players are perfect for Pochettino. Talent Young but just need direction. Yeah, I think I, I, wanted, like... I wanted Pochettino at United. That's not to say that I didn't want Eric Ten Hag. I think we were so close yeah. in terms of whether we got Pochettino or Ten Hag. I'm, glad, I'm happy we've got Ten Hag. I think he's done brilliantly well, amazing. But Pochettino is a top coach. I would have been happy having it at my club. Yeah, Cara, would you, I think. I think. I sorry, say, carry yeah, on. Cara, would you agree that Pochettino is the right man for Chelsea? And it, can he deal with the backroom? Like, you know, it, can he can he deal with what's going on and the noise? Yeah, I mean, listen, he's, he's been a Tottenham, he's, de he's dealt with Daniel Levy, who's, who's, who's a, an owner. Poorer version of... You no, know, but what I mean, he's, he's, he's someone who probably, we think, does get involved in, you know, transfers and, and deals like that. He's been to PSG, I'm sure you've got to manage up there as well, some of the biggest players in mm. world football. It, it's still... The idea behind Potter was, OK, I'm the new owner, I'm going to be different to Abramovich, I'm going to give this guy a five-year deal, we're going to play a certain style of football, we're going to do things a little bit differently. No, I'm not talking about the player, I'm talking about the manager. And <clears throat> Poch is not a serial winner like Chelsea have had in the past. You know, where you think, right, we're going to get Ancelotti, we're going to get Jose, we're going to get Jose back, we're going to get Conte, they're going to do a job for two years. I still think this is the idea of we do want a manager for sort of three, four, five years and hoping Pochettino can be that man. Whether he is that man to actually win them something big, because that's what Chelsea fans are used to. This idea that Chelsea are going to be different now under the new owner, it doesn't matter what the owner says. Those fans are used to having a winning culture, a winning manager. They don't fall in love with the manager because they knew they're not want the, the new one's coming in a year or two's time. So there was no way Potter was going to last that. 
So this idea that Pochettino will get three, four years, he'll have to do something really special in the first couple of years, and you're going up against Klopp, Pep, obviously Arteta's been in the job longer at Arsenal, knows the club, so it, it won't be easy, but this is a... I'm a massive admirer of Pochettino, but I do think it's a real big test for him because this is the this is the one where he can't fall back on that. It's Tottenham, we don't normally win, we don't have the finances of the other teams. I don't think as a Chelsea manager you can fall back on that. Can I ask you a question, Kai? Because I asked it on Twitter a few weeks ago. If you were Chelsea, uh, the Chelsea group of players, the United group of players currently and the Liverpool group of players, and all things equal, Chelsea get a fantastic manager next season. Which group? Obviously, all clubs need to make additions. Chelsea needs a striker, United needs a striker. Um, obviously, Liverpool need players as well. Which group of players do you think a manager would want to inherit if all things were equal to add to to start next season? No, I think Chelsea's group I, of players, you know, honestly, I think, if, I, think, I think Klopp or Ten Hag might look at Chelsea's group of players and think, a lot of them I like. I mean, we've got, we've got amazing players. I mean, Madrid for in my opinion, his first game, I think he came on for like 10 minutes at the that end. cameo against, against Liverpool. Yeah, against, against Liverpool Anfield. And he was brilliant. And I haven't really seen that from him since then. And I think that's because he's poorly coached. I think they've all got lack of confidence now. Yeah. And also, Todd keeps talking about this, you know, big project, this big project. But we didn't really, we, we already were quite good. We didn't, we don't, we're not, we're not Wrexham at the bottom of the, you know, we're not in the National League. It's, it's a completely different, different ball game. And I think he tried, he almost was trying to fix something that wasn't really broken. We just needed a few additions. I'm pretty sure Tuchel even said, you know, I need a few extra players here and there. Why are we sacking board members and medical staff and all these, all these people that have been there for years who were running the club, you know, pretty well? I mean, you can tell that by the amount of trophies we had. Liverpool and City. For the, we've said it on the air for the last sort of three or four years. Haven't just been the, the two best teams in the league. Probably the two best teams in Europe. The, the yeah. points totals they were getting, but Chelsea were comfortably third. It wasn't even like a, a fight with sort of Arsenal, or Manchester United. Really, you were definitely the next. And champions. we were winning trophies in between that time yeah. as well. Liverpool last though? season. Which Liverpool guy? last season. Two cup finals. I had to go to penalties. So that yeah. shows how good Chelsea were. No, I, I don't agree with. With, with, with what you said, uh, uh, I, was, I didn't agree. I didn't say answer. Which 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 team of players? Which group of players? Oh, you? sorry. Which group of players? I didn't give you an answer. You just go base level. I don't agree with. Which group of players do you think you would like to take on next season and add to out of the current Manchester United Liverpool yeah, but, Chelsea but, crop? Yeah, I mean. The money they spend, they're going to have top players there. But I think there's top players at all those clubs, and I think it could be, you know, one would say one, one would say another. Well, who do you think is the best squad out of those three that you'd like to take? Well, Chelsea got 30 players. How can it not be the best squad? You've got to make some sort of squad <laughs> there. Without any strikers. No, the, the biggest thing about it, there'll be no togetherness there at all. How are they losing the games they're losing right now? There's there's no team feeling. There's no togetherness. There's no manager no coming in to sort it out. But, but I think it'd take a lot of sort now oh, to create basically as, as to create what Klopp's created, no. to cl create what Terang's created in this fair season, where well, there's a connection with the supporters, there's a uh, togetherness with players. Can do that though. Yeah, he's he's the, can he's do the, that. I think Pochettino, I think Pochettino will make Chelsea very competitive in that top four. He should do. <laughs> would you? Would you? Would you rather, as a player, say if you're struggling, say you're in that Chelsea hmm. squad and you just lost five in a row, would you rather? Regardless of the connection with Frank Lampard, we'd rather like a Pochettino if you could get him in now to the end of the season and just the, before before you come in for pre-season, you've got no idea what's going on. Even when Chelsea were, were, were successful, they always chucked a manager under the bus. Those players culturally over 20 years have been happy to not to say just down tools. They've always down tools at the end of a managerial. Always, it's terrible what's happened there. They've had some great success, but when they've had enough of a manager, those players they get them out, and that's still there in the club because they're not even doing anything for Frank. They weren't doing anything for Potter at the end. They are. The they are taking the piss, ever. basically. They're taking the piss. I think, I think, I think Mourinho's second spell, once he went, because the fans were all 
thinking, oh, he's going to be there long term. Once he went, we sort of lost the idea of having a long term manager. So I don't think it really bothers fans so much. Have you ever had a long term manager? Yeah. Sorry. Well, I mean, no. Marino. That was that was what people were saying. Yeah, we need longevity, oh. like. X, Y, Z, but yeah, it do, never happened. I, I, I think I, I, no, look I don't at, think I look we do. Pretty I, pretty I, don't, I, don't, if you I think that's Chelsea, real right? rare now. It's not, rare. The last, it's not rare. Since the last no, time. Klopp and no, no, the successful clubs still have managers for four, five, six years. Arsenal. Liverpool and City. But that's not what we're, that's no, not what we're used City to. Liverpool and managers stuff. for a long time. So, yeah. honestly, the, I, I was told this a few years ago. Oh, you can never have a Sir Alex Ferguson anymore. I get that 20-odd years. But when you've got a successful manager with a successful group, you can have them for four, five, six years. People no, think no, I think that's well. like, like it was 20 years unimpeded. Yane's contract's along the way, doesn't yeah, it? It's yeah. not like he got a 20-year contract yeah. and then yeah. ran, I, ran yeah, away I with it. I look at it and say, if you're going if you're gonna to compete for the league, because Chelsea, as a um, matter of fact, since the last time they won it, was like 2016 They've not been nowhere near winning the league, despite all the money they've spent. I know they've won cups, but Champions surely League. Surely, yeah, <laughs> you won Champions League, but you've been nowhere near. Cup team. You're nowhere near winning the league. Nowhere near. It's just, even to say, what are you about? even to you. say, no, but I'm saying, Gary's saying, comfortably in third. The amount of money you spent, comfortably in third. Chelsea's supposed to be competing with, with City European for the trophies. league. You, you really spend more, you spend more money. Turns it around in a year with oh, 30, yeah, yeah. 30 players. Yeah. Chelsea need about three players. I think that's a massive improvement next year, Chelsea. He'll turn it around straight away. Straight away, I'm Chelsea top four next season with Pochettino looking after those players with a striker. Liverpool back. Newcastle and City. Liverpool will be back next season. We're going to get on. We're going to get on to that, but we've got to move it on to a team that is. Pushing for top four, Manchester United. Are they going to do it? Pushing, pushing. <laughs> Cemented almost. Ish, ish. ish. You're right. Ish. 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 Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. <laughs> Deadline for the, the third round of bids to take over the club is today. Guy, mm. I know this is a topic that is close to your heart. It, it, it causes you a lot of stress. Is, is, can you see the club being sold outright? Because you keep getting those drip feeds of information that's saying maybe they're going to sell a percentage. Or... No, 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 nothing's changed. I think there isn't a United fan that just basically wants to see the current ownership change. There isn't a United fan that I speak to now anywhere that doesn't think it's the right thing for them to move on. They have to move on. They have to leave the club. You know, you look at the stadium, not, not getting the... That was the, not, not the final straw. The final straw gone probably many years ago. But the actual, to, to not be one of the best 10 stadiums in the UK and Ireland to be part of a bid to go for, for Old Trafford, they inherited the best stadium in the country, yeah. inherited the best training ground in the country that had just been built and the best football team in the country. We were the best in ev all classes when they inherited the club. We're now in all those three categories, nowhere near the top in the country. So they have overseen the demise and they have basically, were shielded by Sir Alex Ferguson. We didn't know it at the time, None, some maybe did, but I didn't know it. They were shielded by Sir Alex Ferguson for the first 10 years 
and then he's basically now the true colours have come out. I actually, I'm not going to bring Liverpool into it. I think Jurgen Klopp is shielding the owners there because I don't think they're too different than Glazers. And I've said that for quite a few years. I think that Klopp is shielding the FSG in the same way that the Glazers have been shielded by Sir right. Alex. I think I'm right on it, Jamie. So, I, so I the might be F FSG taking money out of Liverpool. No, but I think generally, I think that well, that's the biggest problem with Manchester United. The owners of Man United, not. they're taking no, money. No, it's a problem. Optically, Cara, a problem, but no, it's part Cara, of the problem. I think it's probably the biggest one. No, it's isn't not. It? You're taking money out Cara, constantly. Optically, it looks terrible taking money out of the club, but they only take out 20 million a year of revenue, which is essentially, to be fair, like a football player, like a fullback. It, 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 it's, it's optically terrible. Not Danny Simpson. It's optically. <laughs> it's optically terrible, but it's only 20 million a year, to be fair. If they were successful and they were actually people who invested in the stadium and in the training ground and had a successful football operation, no one would actually. When Manchester United. Look at Liverpool's you know, stadium, Jimmy, look at Liverpool's Jimmy, training ground. Jimmy, when, when, when Manchester United were a PLC, they paid out dividends that were equal to what the Glazers have taken out. So it's not unusual for the owners of Manchester United to take money out. Martin, Martin Edwards will have taken money out. So the problem is, you can't take money out but not invest in the stadium. The, 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 and Liverpool's the, owners have invested in the stadium. They've got the, one of the best training grounds. You've, you've, you've written an article a few I years ago. I haven't. You took one line out of it. You've, and you didn't even read the you, article. You, Scott Melvin probably sent you it. You, 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 you've, 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 you produces this. You've written the article a few weeks ago after saying to me earlier on in the season that there's no problem with FSG at Liverpool. Right, they are, they are not able to invest at the levels that are needed to make Liverpool as successful as you would like them to be. So my point is, you That's said that Belli so Belli Bellingham obviously now has gone off the table because of finance. He's not an option anymore, even though he may want to come to Liverpool. Was your article was the theme of your article, <laughs> and you were disappointed in FSG because of that. No, no, no. Compete. I was disappointed in Klopp. Liverpool he's last not, season. He's not million. So Liverpool last season. Don't talk like you know more about what's oh. going on at Liverpool. Liverpool last season did not buy a midfield player because, as a fan base, we were all as if like we're waiting for Bellingham. It wasn't said publicly, but we know, being in Liverpool circles, we're not going to buy that. We're going to wait for the right one. So Liverpool almost don't throw this season away, but the short in midfield. Yeah. And we accept that as Liverpool fan base because we've seen it before. They did it with Van Dijk. They did it with Alisson. So, Carius is not good enough. The centre-backs are not good enough. But Liverpool wait for the right man. They wait for the one. OK, we all know that one was supposed to be Bellingham. So, the reason Bellingham, then, you say, three quarters down the season, we're not going to go for Bellingham. And it's not just because of his finance. If, if Jürgen Klopp wants to sign Jude Bellingham, he can sign Jude yeah. Bellingham if Jude Bellingham wants to come. Yeah. But the money, what are you shaking your head for? Without Champions League football. No. You haven't got the money. Well, we're talking about money. You haven't got the money. Stay yeah. out of it. You might even be here next season. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, haven't got, you haven't got the money. No, no, no. no. You got the money. No. The problem, no. Listen to me. I'm having a go at them. No, no, no. Let me finish speaking. Right. So, Liverpool, right, will spend... How much will Jude Bellingham cost? 140. OK, not a problem. Will Liverpool spend more than that in the summer? Yeah. Yes. So, Liverpool have got the money for that. The problem Liverpool have got is they've got now got more problems in the team. So Jürgen Klopp saying, we can't afford that because I actually need four players. Rather than last summer when everyone was thinking, Liverpool just need that one midfield player. So they go for two and he goes to Real Madrid. And then they don't get him. They don't go and buy a midfield because we're waiting for Bellingham. Then this season happens and you're thinking, oh, this is a bigger rebuild than actually just going to buy a midfield player. So Liverpool will probably spend, I would say, over 200 million this summer. Do you agree, yeah? Yeah, I agree. I think they will. But they'll buy three midfield players. they probably buy another defender. So that's why Liverpool have pulled out of that now. Well, it's not up. because of the actual... Because they can't afford Bellingham this, and this is the same, other three players. This is the same language that Sir Alex was using for years, to be fair, to say there's no, no value, value in the market. market. Mm -hmm. right? so, uh, this is exactly the same pattern, Karras, trust me. Klopp is protecting the owners 
And so Alex's genius of able to actually co uh, compile a squad together, basically off low spend, relatively to the other clubs like Chelsea and City at the time when they started spending, right? Is he's shielding the owners and he's basically protecting them from what's eventually going to come. And I think the patterns at United with the Glazer family are that ultimately they have to leave because they failed in all three of the major sporting and non-sporting objectives. Which FSG haven't right. failed in. So, so my point is, when once Liverpool start to fail on the sporting objective, if, if, if Jurgen Klopp doesn't get the money or he leaves in the next year or two or whatever, you'll start to see it unfold there in the same way as it has done with the Glazers at United. Because Liverpool's fan base, equally as passionate, love their club, don't want, want to see Liverpool at the very top. They won't accept them being sixth and seventh now after what they've seen in the last few years. They had that for 30 years. They accepted it patiently then. Manchester United's fan base are not going to accept having the worst stadium and the worst training, not worst stadium, worst stadium in the top six probably and the worst stadium in the top, uh, worst training ground in the top six and be, to be fair, fifth and fourth in the league. We're not going to accept that. We can accept being fifth in the league as a Manchester United fans if we've got the best stadium, the best training ground and we're still setting standards. We're not. We've fallen below in every single level. So they do need to leave and they need to get on with it because the new owners, whoever comes in out of the two, and apparently it's very close from what I is, it's cl close between the two who's going to get it. They need to think about the transfer window and picking up the pieces of what's going to happen in June, July this year. So it needs to happen in the next few weeks. We'll touch on Liverpool in just a bit, but I want to know from Adam, what do you think is going to happen today when it comes to that? If you see, you're hearing it's close. What do you mean, what do I think is going to happen today? In terms of the bidding, the deadline? Yeah. I'm hoping we get a few bids in. I'm not liking what I hear about Jim Ratcliffe and Ineos trying to keep the Glazers in there. The guy professes to be a Man United fan. But he wants to cut a deal which will keep the Glazers in there. Pull the other one. It doesn't sound like a Man United fan to me. Um, there's more protests on Sunday. Um, people say Manchester United fans don't protest the Glazers um, when we're winning and stuff like that. We've been doing it for years and it's continuing. And there's protests on Sunday at the game as well um, to, to obviously reinforce the message that the, the fans don't want the Glazers to remain. Um, so fingers crossed. Obviously, I have my issues with state ownership and things like that. But ultimately to see the back of the Glazers and it not be a deal that keeps them in in a minority is ultimately what we want. And if we get that, then Ten Hag can start to look to the future. But like Gary just mentioned, like delaying it and delaying it with these second rounds of bids, third rounds of bids, are we going to stay, are we going to go? It's affecting the football team and it kind of emphasises again, these guys have never cared about Manchester United's football team. They've never cared about how we function on the pitch. While Fergie was there, we won stuff still. Um, in spite of their ownership and uh, now they're there and they have to make their own plans and they have to bring people in. It's like what we saw with Ed Woodward, it's just you can spend as much money as you want but if you're not spending it in the right places and you've not got the right people investing then ultimately it's going to be wasted which is what we've seen so we need to get back on track, we need to have the right people spending the money and we've got the right manager as well now. Like finally we've got a manager that is bringing us forward, getting us competing so if we fail to back him in the summer, it's going to be a huge mistake by United and uh, it'll be an, the, last in, like the last slap in the face from the Glazers, just like waiting around and dragging their feet. Hopefully they do That's one. Asia. If, if Ratcliffe is willing to allow the Glazers to remain 20% oh, involved, no, I, no, I, know, I know you don't want it, but doesn't that almost guarantee that he's going to get the pref preferred bidder? I don't know. I, I, I've, I've been, because I remember Gary said, was on the last overlap, you were like, I think they might stay. And you were yeah. pretty concerned about that. And I was kind of, no, nah, I don't think they'll stay. We'll does go it, this far without, you Thomas know. Thomas goes, uh, I'm not putting myself up for a third round of bidding because the process That geezer was a fraud, bro. That guy with, <laughs> who said that the fans need to put in money and stuff. <laughs> nah, he was having an absolute laugh. As likely as that I buy them.
<laughs> or Gary. So just uh, on that, the, the, the thinking all the way through is that two of the Glazer family want to stay in, Joel and Avi, and the other four want to sell. So you're talking, they only own 69% of the club, 70% of the club, just to round it up. So what you're talking about is basically the two brothers that would stay in would basically own 20%. The Stuc New York Stock Exchange would own 30 And then, obviously, uh, if Jim Ratcliffe was buying all the American fund idea, Elliot, they would, be, they would buy that 50% um, to, get the brother, to get the other brothers and sister out. So that's the idea. Now, I think, to be fair, um, you know, if Jim was to come in at 50%, Jim Ratcliffe, he would probably, because it, it's become so expensive, he probably can't afford the 70% at day one. So I suspect what he'd have to do is come in, get control of the club, and then take them out within a year or two to make sure that obviously they exit. Because you, you're absolutely right, they cannot stay in with any control or any power over the football club. They have to exit as quickly as possible. So I suspect he's probably looking at a two-step type position because of the value of the club is at like six billion. So he might not be able to afford to get the 70%, which would be 4.2 billion. Oh, 70% of six billion. 4.2, is it? Yeah. 4.2, but whatever it is. So he's, he's, he's probably paying three initially, which he can maybe afford, and then he'll give the other money, whatever it is, after. So it's complicated. Isn't and that a concern if someone, and I know big, I, can't, I don't really understand big finances and all that kind of billionaire stuff, but isn't it a concern if someone's coming in and they haven't got enough to actually get rid of the owners, then they're going to be sitting around dragging their feet. We could just be left in limbo for like five, ten, how do, how do you know how long it's going to last? And he seems... There's something not quite right about him. He professes he's a fan, but he owns a season ticket at Chelsea and all that. Just Adam, one thing I would say is, though, if he's, put, if he's putting £3 billion down and he owns 50%, he isn't going to let the Glazers call the shots. He's not. He's a big businessman who basically has F1 teams. He has all these... He's not going to come in and just let them he's call sorry. the shots. No-one's going to do that. Mm. So it, it's not... It's, it's, this but his is not, desperation to get the club yeah. might force him to do that temporarily, yeah. and that's not what we want. But just, just on... Just going, obviously, we've talked about United enough. Just on Liverpool, I, I, and it's a yes or no. Are you both comfortable that you're happy to keep FSG in place for the next five, ten years? No. So what you've got with FSG... I accept, and I think Liverpool supports accept, we, we haven't got the money of Man City, we haven't got the money of Chelsea, we, we, uh, Manchester United, but what we've got is people who know what they're doing. So you can talk about, look what Chelsea have done this season, loads of money, I haven't got a clue what they're doing. Yeah. So in an ideal world, I would love an owner who had loads of money, but I'd still want what they're doing in terms of decision-making expertise. The idea of every owner is not spending loads of money, it's making right decisions, and when you need to spend big money, doing it. So 75 million on Virgil van Dijk, Alisson the goalkeeper. But when the piece you're talking about in terms of me being critical, I was as critical of, of Jürgen Kopp and his staff of this, because this is, this is a planning problem, where you go from actually thinking you need one player, then a year later you think, no, we need three or four, so then you miss out on this marquee player that. I think Liverpool, we, we think we probably, every three or four years, we know we're not Chelsea or United or City, but you think every now and again you've just got to go, boom, buy the top player, send a message to everyone else. Especially a player. To Virgil van Dijk or a goalkeeper, the best probably young player out there at the moment. Who, who sits there, you know, I've seen it, he, he spends, he's hit to hit with Henderson at England camp. You know, there's... Listen, oh, them snide little I, deals I, There's, there's on, some oh, deals yeah. going on, I'm Every, telling you. Everybody in this room wants an owner who's got loads of money. Adam's just mentioned it. I'm not quite sure about state ownership. And you'd have probably been critical of, on this show, of Manchester City or Newcastle, but when it becomes your own club and you're thinking, oh, we can buy anyone, you start... Man, oh, it, it puts you in a quandary. Man United so would love, rather I'd have had... a new ownership with more money. Of this course, is what Liverpool would. have had over the last five years in terms of... If, if, if the Glazers had done to Man United what 
FSG have done to Liverpool in the last five years, I don't know if you'd be quite as no, they did. in this position. But they did, to be fair, under Sir Alex Ferguson, they were massively successful yeah, yeah. with the Glazers. But I'm just there. talking about more, I'm just talking about the stack stack it side oh. by side. We're talking about re removing the One thing the that position. FSG got right you, was like Michael Edwards and that. Like yeah, exactly. People, you they never had a ten years further down the line than that, and I agree, it might go that way, and that might change the opinion. But Cara's right. You know, they have they have invested, they built the infrastructure, they put the right people in charge. I would rather us have yeah more money to spend so we can people it's a slippery slope it's a dangerous game look at Barcelona trying to keep up with PSG and Man City who can who can inflate the markets just basically almost for a laugh just to kind of put, put other people almost out of business look at the state of Barca because they've chased that and they've had it Man United have tried to chase it and tried to chase it to, to keep up with the keep up appearances almost as these with these these there is a happy clubs. middle ground where you have yeah, good well, we've been in the happy, we've you've been still in the happy got you've got Arthur you, you've still got Milner and Henderson running about. Oh no! Listen, listen nobody like. sat here saying that, that Liverpool got it right this season. So that's what we in terms of a plan. That's not just on FSG. That's on a planet. That's yeah. down. Jurgen Klopp put a bid in for uh, the lad who went to Real Madrid. He was about 60, 70 million. So there was money there to spend on a midfield player. He didn't get him. He goes to Real Madrid. So Liverpool then chose. It was almost like a not, too, too, too much. They of chose to rebuild the attack. They, they've they've yeah, just so spent basically two hundred million pounds so buying attack. Klopp onto the midfield player last summer. He could have bought someone for 60, 70 million. This is. This, they actually decided this to is wait going to be for an argument. And, and then haven't then gone through with it. There's going to be an argument that could go on forever. I talk about ownership. I know Gary's could speak for hours on it. Cara obviously as well. One club that's very very happy with their ownership is Newcastle. Ken, everything seems to be going swimmingly well over. <laughs> everything's yeah. I, I don't know what you said. Um, yeah, everything's obviously pretty good at the moment. I'm saying pretty good. That's a little bit of an understatement, I think. Um, to be third in the league from. Last season, where we were 20th in the league at Christmas last season, yeah, this season's just been elite. I don't really have a negative to say about this season, really, and everyone on about their owners and stuff. I, I understand, because we were there for so long. Like, we were literally there for 15 years. We were, like, really unhappy with our owners as well. Um, but obviously now it's... We are a club that... Obviously, kind of following, I would guess, the Man City sort of way where we've got good, good investment, we've got good owners and we've got people who actually know what they're doing at the club. So, yeah, it's uh, nice to see, really, for the first time. And Ben from Brighton, I feel like Brighton is like a model of how pretty much any club should be run. It, it, yeah. Very rare when you have a fan that um, is the owner of the club, which is incredible. That's the main difference between all these failing clubs. Below me, <laughs> <laughs> but no, you know he's invested so well in the facilities, the structure, um, and yeah, he's a massive fan and he's a great businessman as well. Um, so we're very, very happy with him, and we've had such a brilliant season under him. It's interesting when you look at Brighton, and it's the same way in which we look at Jack Walker at Blackburn because he was a fan, he was from the town. You accept the fact that he will put in massive money. I think he's putting something like four or five hundred million pounds of his own money as a loan into the club, which if that was, a, say, an international owner, that would be heavily criticised. You know, because ultimately, but because he's a fan of the club, they've got the perfect scenario, Brighton. But let's be clear, what they've put in, the, the owners put in huge money. But they've also proved that they can they can make money through recruitment. No, they, but, but to be clear, look at look at the debt that he's got on the club. It's not just the, players though. Like a lot of these owners come in, they buy loads of players. We've the facilities, we've got state of the art training ground, I, unbelievable I youth team. I agree, so but he's also, that's where the money's gone. There's in also the stadium a loan as well. for, I think there's a loan of between three and five hundred. I don't know the exact. It's a big difference that, but I know it's a, a huge amount of money that he's had to put in to get there. But I think it's absolutely brilliant what Brighton do with the recruitment and everything that they bring forward. But my concern is that all they need is one bad recruitment 
season and they end up in the in the, in the bottom again and they go down and then they lose that revenue. So th there is always that worry when there is that level of money that's gone in, particularly obviously for some. But that that will happen eventually, and that's trying to, I, I think what Brighton, the, the football they played, and the manager made yeah. and some great players. But that was Southampton ten years ago. Yeah. That was you know Everton under David Moyes. That thing of buy cheap, sell high, and, and, and bringing that money in and, and keep doing. But you, it, it, mm. when I say it's not sustain, uh, sustainable, it's not a criticism. It's just like we all know as football fans, it's hard to keep getting those gems. Cheap. We got ripped apart by Chelsea, and we're still doing well. So we've already gone through one one bad bit, but and we've come out on top, and we're even mm. better. So thank you for that for getting rid of it. <laughs> you know, you can take away all of our staff and that, but you can't take away Tony Bloom, and that's. Yeah. Well, you beat, you, we took we took Potter and then you beat us four one. I was there, yeah. Yeah. and it was beautiful. It's a great day. <laughs> it was poetic. That's football poetry. From the best run clubs, maybe not not the best run clubs. We got to talk about the bottom of the table. Uh, we're going to play a little game. Um, we're going to give each fan of a club in the danger zone thirty seconds, okay, to give us to, to basically tell us why you're able to stay in the league. Ooh. And the best one gets to come on next season. <laughs> <laughs> Does that include Chelsea? It's <laughs> <laughs> actually right. true. We're only ten points away from relegation. <laughs> Three points off one. <laughs> right, let's, we let's, stop it. we've not got a huge amount of time left, so let's start with uh, Ryan from Leeds. Um, so while Leeds can stay in the league, um, I'm not too sure to be honest with you because we're absolutely <laughs> pants at the moment. Um, if the Owners sort something out for director of football, maybe goes um, and there's a big buzz. And player Willie Nonto is our best player, uh, one of our best players. He's got to play games. Um, he's uh, Javi Garcia's come in and um, steadied the ship, but then that ship's capsized now. So I, I, w it's just difficult to know what's going on. But some of the best players in, in the team uh, are not actually in the squad, are not playing in the starting 11. So if they play them players, there's a chance we might stay up. Gary, Cara, you, you, you've been convinced or not? I, I was initially when he came in because I think he, he, he was a manager and you think of the job he did at Watford was really good. He come in initially, as he, as he just said, steadied the ship. But I think what's happened of late is really worrying. When teams start conceding goals and lots of goals and I just felt that Leicester game at home was a game they had to win when you see the fixtures that they've come that have, they've, they've got uh, come on. But what they've got at the moment is I think a, probably a two or three point gap between themselves and the bottom three. And the way the teams are playing down at the moment, that, that could be a decent gap. I, I don't have Leeds going down at the moment. I, I, they're in big trouble, but I don't have them going down. I get them just hanging on. Okay. Next, we're going to go to Greg from Forest. Go on, state your case. Yeah, well, I know you all think we're going to go down and I think that works in our favour. Um, our home form is still key. I know we've only just won our first game in 11, but we've got the tough running and the tough running is what we like. We've got points against Man City, Chelsea, beat Liverpool, obviously. And um, that, I think that's what we need. The fans are together, the players are together and the manager, we've stuck with him. So we are going to stay up. I, I, I hope you stay up, but I think they're going to go down. I think they'll go down. I thought from January, I thought they would be in trouble. I mean, that's when you were at but 10 the, points. I mean, play. the last two games, Liverpool away, we, we gave a good account of ourselves. I know 19% possession, but scoring goals, 19. we're finally doing. Yeah. Was it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> good account. 19% possession, but lots of shots on target. And we, we gave them a running. We got them worried. Uh, we've just, beat, we've just beat Brighton. Brighton are the best, second best away team. 
this season yeah. in the league would just be there. That was a great so I, mean, I think yeah, Johnson yeah. and Gibbs way to the two. Whenever I think yeah. when I think of Forrest playing, I, I think when you go to a game, you're thinking they could. I know they haven't scored a lot of goals this season for us, but I do always get that feeling mm. they could do something. They've got something about them. And then we've got goal. Danilo as well, young Danilo. He's just been superb the last couple of games, mm. and I feel like. We've got these little gems that people aren't recognising yet and that could mm. be the key for us. So I'm confident, the fans are confident again. You should have heard us after the game on Wednesday, so I feel like we're back now. 19% possession, <laughs> just going mad in the boozer. Uh, Jordan, <laughs> the Leicester fan, go give us your 30 seconds of why you should stay up. I mean, I'm not sure we'll stay up either, to be honest, but <laughs> obviously, you know, Brendan's not there anymore. We've, we've got Super Dean, um, Shaky and JT's come in. Defensively, we've been all over the shop, but... Finally realised Danny Ward's not a Premier League goalkeeper and Everson's <laughs> looked decent. Um, Soon choose come in from out, out the cold, even though he's going to Atletico in the summer. Um, we score a lot of goals. Um, Tielemans has been injured all season, but he's back. Madison's been pretty poor recently, but he's still a top-quality player and he's going to be playing in the top six next season. Um, Barnes is, is a danger man and Vardy finally scored in the Premier League. His only second goal of the season at Ellen Road. So hopefully there's a cameo there. From, from JV, but I'm not confident either, to be honest. We've got a reasonably decent run in, and I think we need seven or eight points, but it, it's going to be a tough ask. I, I think, think Leicester are going to stay up. Huh? Oh. Yeah, I, I think. He thinks no. everyone's staying up. <laughs> yeah, but I say, <laughs> he's going down. I've got Southampton Forest down so far. Okay. Who else? <laughs> not, we've not got to them yet. <laughs> <laughs> right, well, that, that brings me on nicely, Baz. <laughs> yeah, but, Ben, you, you got 30 seconds. <laughs> Could you what, manage to what get have I got to do in 30 seconds? <laughs> you've got, you've got to convince us that all the reasons why Everton are going to stay up. OK, well, it's done then. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. It's the, it's the reality. I can't convince you. Because I can't convince myself we're going to stay up. I'm listening to people talk about ownership. And, yeah, we've been the worst case of it. We've had a fella come in, blow money everywhere. We've got a board that doesn't come to the games. It's ironic sitting there last night with 10 minutes left and people have gone. I'm looking at... Where I sit, right on the halfway line, opposite the director's box, and the people responsible for the mess aren't there. And that's, that's the, you know, we've got a manager that, listening to you saying, like, play the right players. We've got an international right back not playing, but we're playing the centre half. We've got a centre half who's scared of his own shadow. He's playing in Michael Keane. I, I just don't know what, what, where the, the hope is. I don't know whether we play rock, paper, scissors, because none of us think we're staying up. If you beat us on Monday, then I think we'll go. Maybe it's your hoodie bars, you know, a bit magic. Yeah. That's in the 60s, man. Put it on today when it says Everton the magic, but the far from magic. I wish Harry Potter had signed, but it, it's, <laughs> it is what it is, mate. We are in a, we're in a huge, huge mess. We, you know, we had a little bump when Sean Dykes come in. We've won one in ten. Frank Lampard was getting hammered for a similar thing. It's not always the manager, because you keep throwing... I heard you before saying clubs, Chelsea, the minute they've, they've balled with the manager, they throw... Everton have done that consistently. But two years ago, we had Carlo Ancelotti, and we were fourth in March. And two years later, we... If we can get them back for five games, we might stay up. That yeah. could be my yeah. only defence. Karen, and how, how, how big would it be for a club like Everton to go down? Never been down in the history. Massive, I, I think it is. And I think last season I, I was on Sky talking about, you know, this and who's the biggest club to go down and then, you know, what that creates on social media. But I think when you think of Everton's history, the fact they've, I think along with Arsenal being in the league longer than anybody, you know, the history they've got in terms of the trophies and the Only titles. three teams have won the league more than Everton. Well, I mean, that tells you how big a, you know, a thing it would be. And it was, it was interesting yesterday... 
when you played, uh, obviously lost to Newcastle. And I actually put a question out on social media. If you're a Liverpool fan, you know, Newcastle losing gives you more chance of maybe getting an outside chance of the Champions League or Everton losing and obviously more chance of them then going down. And the majority of Liverpool fans wanted uh, Everton Newcastle to win the game, which I thought, because in my head, I'm thinking last night, Newcastle dropped drop a few points, Liverpool can get closer, but it is, it does feel huge in the city uh, right now with sort of, you know, the split Everton and Liverpool fans. And listen, they're delighted when we lose your Champions League final, yeah. so I can, there's no problem with Liverpool fans <laughs> enjoying it. A bit of a difference, like, you know. No, but what I'm saying is, we, every, every supporter loves the fact that, the, you know, the, the rivals don't, but... I've always felt when you're down at the bottom, it's probably more... Should, should you be a team who are trying to score goals but you might concede, mm. or do you try and keep it tight and you might not score? Because you, the reason you're down there is you can't do both. So I thought Sean Dyche was a great appointment. The big worry is even Sean, a Sean Dyche team has now started conceding goals because Everton are never going to score goals and Sean Dyche is not going to change that. He's not. So the only thing he could do was make them better and tougher to beat than what the Frank Lampard team was. And he'd done that initially. But when you think of like what happened last night and there's been other Lately, games, apparently. you know, the Fulham game, the last two home games you can see, what, seven, seven goals. Goal. Well, Everton are in the bottom three for defensive metrics since he come in. Well, that's, that tells you all you need How to can know. he be worse I than think what Frank got, I, Last year, obviously, yeah. they, they stayed up, skin of the teeth. I think this year they're going to go down. Um, I think Southampton, Forest, and Everton are going to go down. There's a yeah. different atmosphere for Everton. Sorry, just just from the not quite the outside perspective, but there was a real passion in you at the end of last season. It was coach yeah. greetings and seeing the team off from Finch Farm, and you kind of did that last night. But it feels a bit like, oh come Can't on, we'll, 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 we'll do it. The thing it was, about it, it was like for half an hour against it this time. I think you, you're almost. It feels like there's an acceptance. I see these guys on a almost daily basis, and they're just. It's like it's an acceptance, and I think that's across the Everton fan base. It's almost like, come on, you know, we're talking about the championship, not like how are we going to get ourselves out of this mess. I just got last night for half an hour, the better side comfortably. Newcastle to me looked like we've got a bit of room in the tank if we don't win this one. Newcastle scored, Everton had a goal disallowed fraction. Yeah. The, uh, the, the Champions League AI they've been given, I think. Because it was that them lines, then he bend it. But when, once Newcastle scored the second, he took the game away. Did you, how, how big badge do you think Monday night is? Because I, I look at your fixtures mm. and you've got a decent last game of the season. The, the big worry is it might be gone by then. You've got yeah, Bournemouth yeah. at home. But after Leicester on Monday, which is going to be a tough game, you've then got Brighton, Man, Brighton away, Man City at home. I think if you lose to Leicester, I can see you get maybe one point out of the next two games mm. at best. I mean, well, how, even if they how, finish, big, how big do you think Monday night is in terms of Everton staying up? Because if you win that, you probably go up the bottom three. If you lose it, you think you're virtually done. Probably five points adrift then, though. But it's a huge, listen, it's a huge game. I said when I was honest at the start of the season, if we keep Calvert Lewin fit, we might be all right this season. We'd be, um, he got a drop come out. I've said it before. I walked out the studio, got in the car, he was out for eight weeks. And <laughs> Jesus Christ. I've got, right. got one question. Do you do any of these for the EFL? Because otherwise, we'll invite you anyway. Don't worry. Listen, we're running out of time. We've had your bottom three yeah. predictions. Cara, give me your bottom three predictions, please. I'm, I'm going to go with the Southampton. I'm going to go with Forest. And I think I'm just going to go with Leeds. I don't know why, really, because I've just you made an argument for it being really tough for Everton. But I just think, it, I just can't envisage Everton not being in the Premier League. Uh, and I just think they might get a result from somewhere that you don't expect. And uh, I'm going to go for Leeds. Well, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. Big round of applause for both Jamie Carragher and, of course, uh, Gary Neville. And we'll be back at the end of the season to discuss it all again. 
Appreciate it. On Formative, middle school kids from New York City public schools interview a phenomenal collection of grown-ups. Me, like, I don't know what I want to do. You don't have to have all the answers. I feel like a lot of people's favorite topics are, like, interest in their life. That is a really good answer. The podcast where the leaders of today are interviewed by leaders of tomorrow. Listen now at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.